Hey, 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 welcome to the Pastor Duke Podcast. Man, I am so pumped. I'm excited to share some things with you. Thank you for being part of my listening audience. Every week, the numbers of listeners continues to go up. I'm so thankful. I'm humbled by the fact that God has uh, chosen me to uh, bring God's word to you. So I'm pumped. I just got back from camp, uh, the real deal. And yet, kind of side by side, I'm seeing some fake Christianity, some phoniness. You know, I've shared that for years. Good and evil run on parallel tracks and often arrive about the same time. And that's what I've been living here. It's kind of amazing. I was down with kidney stones in the emergency room again in the hospital nearby in Troy, New York, Sunday night. Excuse me, Sunday morning, went in Saturday night about 10 p.m., got out at 4 a.m. I thought, there's no way I'm going to do this camp. We prayed, and uh, the pain went away. I've had no more problems. The scan said I had a 8-millimeter stone and a 5 in my right ureter, and I don't know if God just dissolved them, if they passed. I had no evidence that they did pass, but... I don't know, but uh, I feel like I'm living in that supernatural realm. I feel like Satan hates me. That's a good thing. And I feel like God is using me. And that's that's humbling and exciting all at the same time. So my thoughts I'm going to share with you today, uh, kind of fresh off of uh, my heart, fresh out of the word of God. I call it a holy call to servanthood. And again, I confess I've seen some fake stuff which angers me. Hopefully it's righteous anger and I'd be angry and sin not. I just, Lord, hold hold my temper. Don't let me be controlled by anger or fear or frustration or hypocrisy on the parts of others. God will settle his books. He doesn't do it every 90 days, but he will settle his books. Let me get to the message here. Stop rambling. A call to servanthood. So cross-cultural to this me generation but Jesus has always been cross-cultural. Holiness in a sinful world is by nature cross-cultural. It wasn't more crazy in Christ's time than it is today to say, words of Jesus, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. It's not a message that self-seekers are going to flock to, yet it still reigns as the high calling of God through two millenniums of time. Jesus once found his disciples arguing among themselves as to who was the greatest among them. They were embarrassed and shut up the moment they realized Jesus had overheard them. He did not engage them on that foolish level. He raised the bar and said, He that is greatest among you, let him be your servant. So as a young man, I took this call of our Lord seriously, as all young men do. I dreamed ministry dreams. I was praying for a strong, large, prosperous ministry. Had to do over again. I think I'd just prosper for a pure and strong ministry, leave the results with God. But that was then and this is now. Hopefully I've learned some things along the way. I counted nickels and noses in the seats and was counting that to show my success in ministry or failure. Uh, 
I was driven by bigger, better, more. I constantly held before our little and growing congregation goals for attendance and offerings and properties and buildings. When we would meet that attendance goal on a big day, I would celebrate with them for like a minute. Then I would challenge them to something bigger, a higher goal. Okay, thank God for the 100 that are here, but what about the 50,000 that are not here yet? Let's not be satisfied too soon. I would accuse them of not trusting God enough or not working hard enough for God. My thoughts go back to our fifth anniversary, Sunday, July 1983. God's Holy Spirit smote my ministry selfish heart for the evil pride that was me. All the while, others were commending me, oh, Brother Duke, God's going to use you to build a great church. And boy, I love to hear that. You see, this isn't between me and men or myself and peers. We should tune all of that out and have our eyes fixed only on Jesus. I was convicted that I was using my people to achieve my personal ministry aspirations. Christ's calling is not to use people in any way, but to pour myself into people and build them up and leave the results with God. It's all about their importance and not my own perceived successes. God was doing a 180 in my life on that fifth anniversary sermon where I had hoped to knock it out of the park and see the altars filled with tears and deeper commitments to Jesus. Instead of any hype, they got my true confession. They saw my tears of apology and repentance. I just kind of told them what I just told you. They heard my pledge to meeting their needs, forgetting my own ministry aspirations. How big might the church be? Could we be the fastest growing this or that? Shame on me. But they learned that day <laughs> that something had happened in their pastor's heart. I pledged to meeting their needs to knowing their names, their children's names, where they worked. I confessed that I had given up on the size of the church and committed to the health of the church. I will work on the depth and let God take care of the breadth. No hype that day, no heart-rending illustrations, just humility, brokenness, and love. I guess it was my tears that kind of brought perhaps some other tears that day. And guess what? The altars did fill up. Many wept and committed deeper to follow this young, motivated preacher whom they absolutely knew. They knew. They really knew I did love them and that I would give my life to meeting the needs of this flock. If we're not willing to die for our flock, are we a true New Testament church shepherd. It was real to me, and I committed to giving my life in one place. Through the years, I've had opportunities to go three other times to much larger churches with larger salaries, but God put in my heart to come here and give my life in this town for these people. And now I look back on it, I'm so glad I didn't go and chase the dollars or a bigger crowd yeah, God blessed me with a growing crowd all through those years. And so I'm an aging, 
happy preacher as I look back on what God did. Took a lot of correction and patience on God's side of things uh, for me to get uh, where I'm at today. It's interesting, that sixth year was one of our most prosperous ministry years. We planned a lot less that year about activities and all, but we prayed a little bit more. I think that's a good and growing and better balance. A good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep, and that means on a daily basis. Will will we die today? Will we pick up our cross today and meet the needs of someone else, even if it conflicts with some of our own personal needs? And I know there's a balance in this, and uh, the Spirit will always show us that holy balance. I learned that when sheep are healthy, it is their nature to reproduce. When people are excited about their church family, they can't keep it in. They share, and the people they share it with sense, man, something's happening in their hearts. They love this church. Maybe I ought to go and check it out. And that's how our church continued to grow throughout the years. Our church grew healthier, and as it did, it continued to grow numerically as well. I had some long talks in those early days with my home pastor and chief mentor, James L. Standridge. He led me through a deeper look at how Jesus did ministry. Uh, yeah, you think? I mean, <laughs> why would we look anywhere else, to be honest? Yes, Jesus used attractions of healing uh, and doing some miracles to draw a crowd. But then it was all about attachment, attraction versus attachment. Jesus used a little attraction, but that was only to get them where he could get attached. Uh, Attraction to bring them in, attachment to keep them. Jesus freaked many people out by calling them by name when there was no human way that he could even know their names and they were beginning to experience it. Man, uh, this guy's uh, pretty smart. How does he know that? Well, of course, he was Emmanuel, God with us. But he called their name. Everybody loves to hear their name. Let that sink in. He called them by name. That's where powerful attachment ministry begins. People love to hear someone call them by name. It's evidence that we really do care, that we really want to try to do something for them. I could do a whole podcast on that little topic, their name, just alone, but um, I think uh, we understand the power of it. I committed that fifth year to committing to know everybody's names and go through the file and take pictures of people and just call them by name and you know every week there was you know two three four five more people to add to the list and um there was a power in it the attachments were growing and uh, it was an exciting place to pastor all through these years we had always opened up our home uh we were we love we're given to hospitality my wife is fantastic at making things look pretty i can make the food taste good which she can too but uh, i was kind of the cook in the early days and she was the server and she just had had a way of making people feel welcome and special in our home and that was a way to make attachment with people but uh, <clears throat> as the ministry grew we became much more strategic to have in new people to our home quickly, to get attached as much as possible, as quick as possible, and also to bring in uh, the socially unskilled people, the the quiet people, the you know not the, the social movers and shakers, but 
there are people that were insecure, and we brought them into our home and and showed them the same love of Christ that we showed to others, and it just absolutely meant the world to them. Isn't that exactly how Jesus did life with the 12? We were connecting deeper and more quickly than ever before. Turns out many of those quiet background type people soon became the backbone of our church, just working hard on their little backstage area of service for the king and growing in their uh, love for and service to Jesus. We were beginning to, uh, to have some serious ministry impact in people's lives. Bonds were made uh, that uh, time and testing were not able to break. Ministry success goes way deeper than uh, the size and wealth of the crowd. Ministry became fulfilling and less frustration. And yeah, there's people getting upset and brush fires and all that. But when you see people coming to know Jesus, learning to love him, learning to apply God's word to their life problems and seeing solutions to their problems, their marriages strengthened, their parent, parenting skills increasing, the, their twinkle in their eye and skip in their step. Ah, it never gets old. So God was building bonds that stood the test of time. Today, 44 years down the road, I'm an old man now reflecting a lot on what God did in the past and knowing he's not finished with me yet. And God's by a God's amazing grace, my reflections are sweet. Social media and uh, uh, podcasting has enabled thousands of connections to continue, even though my flock is now scattered all over the country. I tell people, if you hear me complaining, I'm lying. I learned pretty soon on people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's easily a cliche, but let me tell you, it's real. My call was to make my sheep feel special, to feel love, to feel secure, and highly motivated to sell out for Jesus. It was my honor for them to call me pastor not their honor for me to be their pastor. One of the qualifications for the office of bishop, elder, pastor is hospitality. It's given twice uh, in the scriptures. We experienced how powerful hospitality was to open people's hearts, uh, to trust us. That's so important in ministry, not just to admire us, but to trust us and know that they are valuable to us. People need servanthood, not celebrity. And that's been some stuff that's in my face. So you can kind of tell there's something motivating this today. People need, church members need servanthood in leadership, not celebrity. When people see and know us in private, who we really are, that we practice what we preach, they are so much more moved by what they see on stage This guy must be the same out of the pulpit as he is in the pulpit. And when we prove that to people, let me tell you, all heaven can break loose. When I became more transparent with my people, they were more secure and transparent with me in a biblically healthy pastoral way. Hospitality is in one sense um, 
you could say it's just Jesus in everyday action, in everyday life. We think first of hospitality as open hearts, open homes, powerful bonds are made when we break bread together. That's so clear in Scripture. Uh, <clears throat> daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to preach and teach Jesus. They were having meals together, and that just is, is so powerful. But it takes time. It takes effort. It takes investment. The dinner table becomes a sacred place when we share with people uh, that we want to show the love of God to. It's more than just the cost of the food. It's the soul of the food, I, I like to say. The ethnicity of the food, the Hungarian goulash or some of the amazing Italian food that old world Italians taught us how to make early on in our ministry. and We've been enjoying the benefits of that ever since. For me, it's often the homegrown element of the food that we share, but even more, it's the time we invest to cook, to serve, to share. I I can give money away and uh, go make more money, but when I give my time away, it's gone. I can't get more time. We all have uh, to choose if we are going to invest our time in self, and if we do, it's it's gone. But if we invest it in others, there's an eternal part of that investment that's sent on to heaven. It's time wisely used when we invest it to meet the needs of others, to build others up, to make others feel how special they really are. It makes time the eternal treasure that we're willing to invest in the lives of people we're trying to minister to. When I give people my time, I'm giving them the absolute greatest treasure that I have. It's so important. I hear pastors who have no time for their people. They're too important. And I think, man, I don't know if they're even pastors. They're just religious corporate CEOs. I knew a guy that bragged about a book called Jesus Was a CEO. Man, if I had a copy of that book, I'd have burned it on the spot. No, he's not a CEO. He's a savior of the world. He's our shepherd of our soul. I have known the CEO-type pastors find time for parishioners who are financially very well off. They seem to make time for them. James pronounces woes upon showing favoritism to the rich. It's the epitome of hypocrisy, and it is a fairly common occurrence in many churches and religious organizations. It wasn't Jesus who taught, follow after the money, uh, just look at the 12 disciples that he chose. None of them were from a financially blessed background. They were mostly uneducated, uh, none with any significant earthly achievements under their belts. Uh, there was no wealth among those 12. Um, after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus and persecution had begun against Christ's church, the Jewish elite, those who did have the money and had the power, the Jewish elite made note that the disciples were, quote, ignorant and unlearned men. How speak they so uh, fluently, so articulately, so powerfully? It blew the minds of the Christ rejectors. Well, we know it was the Holy Spirit anointing upon them. God had chosen the simple men to confound the mighty, the humble to confound the proud, those who were socially nots to confound those who socially were. That's kind of a strange English way to put it, but you know what I'm talking about. Early on, 
in my ministry, I had a couple wealthy men visiting our church who soon pulled me aside and shared how much they could be a blessing to my church if I, and I realize it's Christ church, not mine. That's probably what gave me the victory. But you do feel it's my church by way of affection. So I'll go ahead and use my church knowing it's really his. Uh, But they could be such a blessing to my church if I would agree to some of their terms. In other words, they were trying to buy me. By God's grace, I never played those games. Soon they were gone to look for another preacher they could buy. The other side of that coin, the good side now, many have joined into our church family through the years who were clearly financially blessed who know that they did not get special uh, pastoral favor because they had money. No special one-on-one meetings where Pastor Duke would try to bring them into funding of some special project uh, not uh, already provided for in the church budget. Man, that makes me sick. That never happened under my watch, and I know it's not happening under the watch of our church now under the leadership of our uh, Pastor Matt. Uh, He's doing it God's way with the right heart attitude, and God's blessings continue to flow in this place as they are building on the foundation that God laid through me. I'm so proud of them. God brought in wonderful people of means who saw our love for the single moms. They saw the kids with no dads getting some special help from the church. And, of course, the special needs people God graciously gave us. I'll probably tell you a Charlotte Brady story before I sign off today. I got a million of them. She was kind of a special needs gal that God brought to us uh, many years ago. And we all have our fabulous Charlotte stories. Wait till we see her on the other side. She's been with the Lord now for about 10 years. They saw us, the wealthy among us, um, saw us not come after their money, but they saw us pouring into those who had no earthly means to pay us back. We gave never to receive our charity to the socially lower end of our social realm in our church. It won the hearts. It won the trust of our wealthier people. They saw God's work being done God's way, and they just had a wonderful way of fitting in. Every summer, a few men would whisper in my ear, Pastor Duke, can you find four or five kids that can't afford to get to camp? (laughs) Well, I never had any problems finding those kids, and it was my pure joy to stop by the homes of those single moms, uh, the kids that just didn't have the money to go to camp, or sometimes I'd just pull them aside at church and say, hey, get your bags packed. Uh, uh, Some wonderful uh, family in the church who has extra money told me to go find you and tell you, get ready for camp. They're paying your way. And uh, the kids never really knew specifically who those people were, but those people who provided for those kids to go to camp, they knew who they were. And it was my joy so many times through the years to go back to those families who provided and let them know that kid that went to camp got saved. Yeah, that's kind of how the Lord works. Oh, my goodness. I just get goosebumps as I share this. I relive this stuff that God did in the past, and he's still doing it now. Got one more big story to share with you before I tune you out today or turn tune myself out today. I think 
I need to confess right now, I've been motivated to share this message by a whole lot of fake church realities uh, fomenting uh, pretty close to home for me. Not here at all, thank God, at Newtown Church or any of our close sister churches in the region. but there are fake pastors and fake religious realities not far from any of us. Uh, the fake stuff angers me, and God's Spirit has to refocus me to keep my eyes off of all that junk and have my eyes on the real deal, thankfully, which is everywhere as well. I don't want to have my eyes on the rotten apples in the bushel when there's you know 150 good apples in that same basket. Well, I just finished speaking at High Point Camp at God's Little Campground in Ghent, New York. Child's cost for this camp, are you ready? Zero, as in free. It's a small country church, People's Bible Church, that sponsors this camp now for around 25 years, all on donations and God's supernatural faith provisions. Most of the kids are unchurched and would never be able to go to the average Christian camp, which runs between $450 and $700 per week. The kids are thrilled to be there, and they understand it's the love of Jesus and the sacrifices of people that provides camp for them. They feel love the moment they step on the campgrounds by the investment that people have already made in them. All the counselors, all the staff are volunteers. The only person that got paid a penny this week was me. I almost feel guilty for it. Many um, gave up their vacation week or one of their vacation weeks to be there. Much of the food is donated. One farmer donated half a cow of grass-fed. It was fabulous. Another 200 ears of corn here. And, oh, my goodness, it just goes on and on. And the food is not camp food. The food is the real deal. It's real moms that... And real pastors' wives making real food for real people. I'm telling you, I love this place. It's not five-star facilities, but it's clean and it's safe. And it's the greatest week of a 100 kids' summer. The staff is like a big loving family. They just kind of come back every year. And uh, my heart throbbed this year was an 11-year-old African-American girl. She stole my heart this week. She got saved on Tuesday night. I learned the backstory about her the very next day. She is the step-grandchild of one of the sponsoring church elders. Her 16-year-old brother tragically died on a basketball court last year in front of 750 student basketball fans. It was a massive heart attack, and in an instant, he was gone. I heard about his death, but I did not realize. I found out this week. Turns out this young man got saved at this same camp by the sacrifice of the same people summer of 2019 under my preaching. It was the last camp before COVID hit. God has the right little churches in the right little camps with the right staff of volunteers, with the right attitudes in the right place at the right time to carry out his sacred work, reaching out to the world to bring people to Jesus. There's no fanfare, no superstars, no status-seeking among these people, just the pure, powerful gospel of Jesus carried out backstage through simple servants of Jesus 
and I am blessed to be immersed in this network of real churches and real ministry, uh, making real sacrifices and laying up real treasures in a real heaven. What a blessing has been mine. I was in a camp in Dayton, Ohio, 860 teenagers, I think 22 churches represented. The kids have already gone home from camp praying about unsafe friends that they want to bring to camp with them. The youth groups have already gone about to raise money to bring unsafe friends to camp for free. When school hits, these kids will go to their unsafe friends at school and say, hey, the greatest week of my summer was at Camp Chautauqua in Dayton. It was the greatest week of my life. Uh, I want you to come. Our church will pay your way. Will you please come to camp with us next year? <laughs> Very few kids say no to that. And then the first night of camp, the speaker, it wasn't, I wasn't a speaker the first night, but the speaker said, all of you who got saved at camp last year, would you please stand? Over 100 kids stood who had gotten saved there last year. And when camp was all over, another 120 kids came uh, to Christ during that week of camp. You see, these this camp is equipping every camper to be a missionary, to go out and bring somebody back to camp next year. I told the camp director, this is not camp. This is a movement of God, but it's there's no superstars there. It's just real people doing the real work of God, getting their hands dirty, sacrificing. Oh, it never gets old. I love it. Thank you, Jesus, for letting me have a part of this. And now, in closing, a Charlotte story. She was mentally uh, handicapped. God brought her to our church. She was about <laughs> she was about as round as she was tall, and and she had us wrapped around her little finger. Oh my goodness, she talked a hundred of us out of ice cream cones and uh, it was not good for her diabetic condition, but uh, she lived a long life anyway. She's with the Lord now, but you know, she's the only person in the church that my wife and I took out for her birthday dinner every year. Wanted to go to the same place, friendlies, wanted to get the same meal, shrimp and french fries and a strawberry sundae. And then just be about 15 minutes before she would leave, she would order another shrimp and french fries dinner with coleslaw to take home. So she, it was lunch and dinner. And it was really funny because it started out her birthday dinner, and then it was a birthday and the weekend, and the other families would pick up and take her out. And then it was a birthday month, and then uh, oh, she milked that thing out for all it's worth. But you know what? That's sacred. She she had nothing to give our church financially, uh, but we were there for her. We cleaned her house. Uh, she was a pack rat. We'd go every six months with a dump truck or a pickup truck and fill it up with stuff that she had gathered. And one day I I drew the straw. We'd have a five or six of us, and one of us would take the kitchen, one of us would take the bedroom, one of us take the living room, one of us take the bathroom, whatever. And I drew the straw for the bedroom, and a couple of the ladies of the church took her out shopping to buy some new clothes and maybe to do some laundry, pick up her medications. And I drew the straw for the bedroom, and there must have been 10, 12 big garbage bags full of um, old clothes that people had given her, whatever. And she had this large cat called Snowball, and, and the cat got in there and urinated over all this stuff. And I'm a... I'm I'm a highly allergic to cats, especially Snowball, and it was it was filthy. And we, of course, we cleaned all of it up. And I'm down on my hands and knees. I'm having a full blown allergy attack. I mean, I'm, my hands are covered with 
cat, wet cat pee on his clothes. I'm stuffing him into bags. I'm on my knees. I'm sneezing. My eyes are almost swelling shut. I am physically miserable and just somebody's got to do it. And, and uh, as I was there and stuffing that stuff in, it's so disgusting. It's almost like Jesus came and knelt next to me, put his arm around me, and he whispered in my ear, and he said, you really do love me, don't you, Duke? I started to cry. Like, yes, Jesus, I really do love you. I'll get down on my knees for you and clean up cat urine saturated. I just love you, Jesus. And that might be the most spiritual, sweet moment I ever had in my life. Special needs gal. Uh, she was probably in her mid-50s at the time. We cleaned it all up, got it sanitized. She came home to a perfectly clean apartment, to get her new furniture, made sure her TVs were working, and all of that. But you see, that's the kind of Christianity that I want to be a part of. Uh, I had that modeled for me by my pastors uh, through the years, and God's put that on my heart. And so when I see the the celebrity wannabe type of preachers and lights, camera, action, and boy, when they're on stage, they're the superstar. Give it up for me. Just makes me want to, uh, never mind. <laughs> I won't say it, but you already filled in the blanks. So, hey, thanks for tuning me in. Thanks for letting me vent a little bit. But let me tell you, God is on the throne. There's nothing greater than being a servant. Surrender deeper to that sacred calling of being a servant. Oh, in the eyes of the world, we're foolish, but in the eyes of God, it's the real deal, and it's eternal. So thanks for tuning me in. Lord bless you. Please like, share, uh, all that stuff. Subscribe. Uh, I'm getting almost 4,000 listens a week now uh, between my podcast and According to John. I'm his co-host, so get on any podcast network According to John. You can see me there, and John is dynamic Bible teacher. We'll turn over every stone, and and uh, you'll grow thereby. So thanks again. Lord bless you. Bye-bye for now.